0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, Grace Crossing. It certainly is good to be back with you again and to be with you as a part of this series, Rest in the Mystery. Got to tell you, all week long, I've been torn between two passages of scripture. Going back and forth, I prayerfully decided to wrap them both into one message in all honesty, they could be standalone messages on their own. Pastor Gill. they probably could be complete series on their own. But by faith today, in fact, in pre-service prayer, uh, the young man who prayed, prayed, Lord, bless the messages. And I thought, is somebody else speaking along with me? And then I thought, oh, confirmation. That's confirmation that we're going to go for. Let's start uh, with the words of Jesus in John 15 the night before he went to the cross. And in John 15, the first eight verses, we read these words, Jesus said, I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean or pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me or abide in me as I remain or abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. If you remain or abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me or remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to show my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The punch of this passage, friends, um, actually begins the verse before, the last verse of chapter 14, 1431, when Jesus says to his disciples, arise, let's, let's go from here. He's changing topics, so he wants a change of scenery. In chapter 13 and 14, here we are the night before he goes to the cross, Jesus is modeling servant leadership to them. In John 13, he takes the towel, isn't that right? And he washes the disciples' feet. And I want to remind you that he washed Peter's feet, who was about to deny him. And he washed Judah's feet, who was about to betray him. And as he washes his feet, he's modeling uh, servanthood and forgiveness and how to keep the wound clean so you can finish your mission. He would go on to say in 13 and 14, I go to prepare a place for you. He talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit as helper and counselor. He gives them eternal perspective and divine guidance. He's answered their questions. Can you show us the Father and how can we know the way? He has quieted their spirits and he says, arise, let's go from here. So down the stairs from the upper room through the dark, narrow streets of Jerusalem, past the temple doors, and on the temple doors, these massive gold vines, because the vine was a symbol of Israel, the nation. Moses would say in Psalm 40, thou brought a vine out of Egypt, God. Through the gates of the city, down to the Kidron Valley, and up to the other, other side, under the Passover moon, I picture him sitting down with the disciples among the literal, little gnarled grapevines silhouetted in the night. And in this setting, Jesus says these words, I am the vine, the true, and my Father is the caretaker. I picture dead silence in that moment. The disciples can hardly believe their ears did he say what I think he said? Because to understand this, friends, is to understand that this statement, I am the vine and my father is the gardener, was a statement of total revolution. And this statement of revolution became a moment of revelation for the disciples because their whole lives, from, from Torah school as little boys until now, uh, they, they had been told, that the Jewish nation was God's vine and the Pharisees were the caretakers or the gardeners. And Jesus is saying as of tomorrow, as of the cross, that's all changed. Everything is going to be different, a new order, a new connection, a new nation. And what does this tell us as we move into Lent season? Praise God, the vine is now in divine hands and not human hands. It also tells us that the vine and the fruit are God's responsibility, not ours. Can anybody rest in that today? Let's rest in that ministry. It's as we abide, Jesus is saying, we produce fruit. No, we don't produce fruit, we just get to bear fruit. And there's a big difference. We don't just produce fruit, we, we, get, to, we get to bear fruit. Here, here's the truth. When you and I said yes to Jesus, we joined a revolution. We joined a revolution of abiding in Christ. The mystery of rest is found in the abiding. And, and we bear fruit as a branch by simply resting in the vine, Christ Jesus. I, I want you to take a minute and try to picture a little branch with me, all right? Have you ever looked at a tree in your yard or a bush that is fruit-bearing or something, and, you, and can, you, can you just imagine a little branch grunting and groaning and straining to try to produce a grape or produce an apple? No, they don't do that, do they? They're, they're just resting in the vine. They're not trying to pop out grapes. They're not trying to pop out apricots. Andrew Murray said it this way. Listen to the little branch. I know you're a wise man and can do many wonderful things, but I have one lesson for you. With all your hurry, all your effort in Christ's work, do you ever prosper? The first thing you must do is come. The first thing, the first thing you must do is come and rest in the vine, Christ Jesus. The mystery of rest is in the abiding, in the remaining. The mystery of rest is staying put in Jesus Christ. And our part becomes very simple. Our part is just to keep the connection clean and to keep the connection strong. Our part is abiding and remaining by reading and praying and serving and obeying to trust in the mystery of abiding that will bring kingdom fruit in and through our lives because make no, (laughs) don't miss this, Jesus is after you and I producing fruit for his kingdom. Being involved in what he said at age 12, the father's business, producing fruit. Hudson Taylor called John 15, his spiritual secret after years of laboring and straining and pushing and wearing himself thin in ministry in China. He has a revelation. And he writes this, he said, "'As I thought of the vine and branches, "'what light the blessed spirit poured directly into my soul. "'And the sweetest part is the rest, "'which full identification with Christ brings.'" And he would go on to say this, the branch of the vine does not worry. The branch of the vine does not toil and rush here to seek sunshine and rush there there to find rain. No, it rests in union and communion with the vine. Let us so abide in our Lord Jesus. Let us so abide in our Lord Jesus. And Jesus would go on to teach in John 15, No fruit? Okay, let's take it away. And as he talks about branches bearing no fruit, this was Jesus' issue with the Pharisees because the Pharisees were more about religion than relationship. And serving God was more out of duty than delight. It was joyous religious activity and not abiding in God. And branches were removed for two reasons. To protect against disease and to preserve the sap. They call it wildwood when a branch grows uncontrollably, but, but as we bear fruit through this mystery of abiding, Jesus says, You're gonna get rewarded as you bear fruit. You know what the reward is? Pruning. Thank you very much, Jesus. It's, it's pruning. And Jesus said, pruning happens that we might bear more fruit. And I want to remind you today, pruning's not judgment, friends. Pruning is a sign of health. Pruning is a good thing. Uh, and it's not always having bad things pruned away. Sometimes it's good things pruned away to bring greater things. Sometimes it's the extra things pruned away to bring the essential things to the forefront. Pruning is not a bad thing. Why pruning? Because again, the sap in a branch from the vine has to travel the length of that branch to be able to produce the fruit. So it stands to reason, the shorter the branch, the less sap has to travel through the branch so they can produce greater fruit and sweeter fruit. And that sap, we don't have time to get into it's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit <laughs> flowing from the vine through the branch, you and I, to produce the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And as we're pruned back, the fruit becomes bigger and the fruit becomes sweeter. The fruit of the Spirit. My friends in England have a saying, for the best roses next season, let your worst enemy prune your rosebush. Anybody here in a pruning season right now? I wanna say take heart. As we sang earlier, God has not abandoned you. He's just getting you ready, praise God for greater fruitfulness, isn't that right? So I want you to see this progression. Jesus says through the passage, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Fruit, that's a sign of health. More fruit because he prunes you, all right? The Father prunes you. And then Jesus talks about much fruit in verses seven through eight. And he says, much fruit comes through asking, asking. That's a message for another day. For today, let's just rest in and learn from the mystery of the vine and branches. Another teaching of Jesus on the mystery of rest is found in Matthew 11, three short verses, one of my favorite passages in the word of God. It answers the question, this abiding, this remaining, what does it look like on a daily basis? How do I flesh this out? Jesus says, very familiar, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you what? Rest, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. He says, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a great promise. It was several years ago, I picked up an article from a newspaper, Tacoma, Washington. It was about a, it was about a basset hound named Tattoo. Okay, Basset Hounds, get that image in your mind, all right? Short little legs, long floppy ears, sad, sad eyes. Isn't that, you got the image in your head? The article started this way. Tattoo didn't intend to go for a run today, but when his master accidentally closed his leash in the car door, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Fortunately, the article said, before the car got up to much speed, a policeman saw what happened. Didn't go over 15 miles an hour. Tattoo took a few rolls and tumbles and was definitely worse for wear, all right? But the article ended by saying simply, Tattoo hasn't asked to go for a run since. (laughs) A young follower of Jesus asked his mentor, what must I do to stay healthy in life? Spiritually, physically, emotionally? That wise mentor said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. To which the young man said, that's really good. In fact, he wrote it down, he said, what else? He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. All of us, like the apostle Paul, want to be able to say, I I have finished the race. All of us want to finish well, we have to understand that God, in this, God wants pacers, not racers. We need to realize that the Christian life is a marathon and not a sprint. Eugene Peterson called it, and I love this, a long obedience in the same direction. So rhythms in life and rhythms in work, and rhythms to days, and rhythms to weeks, and rhythms to seasons are absolutely crucial if we're going to rest in the mystery. When we, wait, when we race through life, we can expect five results. Racing through life can produce fuzzy vision. We just don't see clearly like we should. Racing through life can result in physical exhaustion, illness, Racing through life can lead to a diminished capacity to love. No matter how much we care, no matter how much we want to show love, racing tends to shrink our hearts. So we can't exhibit the care for the people we love like we really want to. Racing leads to a shallow life and can lead to using people and manipulation and shortcuts which all do injury. That's why Jesus says, come to me all you are weary and I will give you rest. And in these three short verses, there are three key directives from Jesus. I believe for pace in life, for balancing family and work. Three directives when Jesus first says, come to me. He simply says, come to me. And as I've studied this and meditated on this, I've come to realize that rest is not in a place and rest is not in a position. Rest is not in if I could just move there or get there, I know things will be different. Rest is not in if I could just get that job or climb the ladder in this profession, everything's gonna be good. Friends, hear me today, rest is not in a place, rest is not in a position, rest is in a person and his name is Jesus. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Secondly, the second imperative, he says, take my yoke upon you. And this is interesting as we talk about rest. The irony is In these three verses, he's talking about rest, but suddenly he's talking about a a yoke, which is an instrument of work. Here's the mystery. Jesus is saying, a secret to your rest is found in his yoke. A secret to your rest is found in his yoke. And a yoke is an instrument of work that keeps two animals, two creatures at the same place, usually pulling a plow or pulling a wagon, all right? They are yoked together. And you've all heard of the images of what happens when you yoke an ox and a horse together. Different gates, different strides, different lengths of legs, all right? And they really have trouble, and they end up plowing a field like this. (laughs) Does life ever feel like that to anybody? They don't keep at the same pace, so they can't plow effectively together. A yoke is an instrument of work that keeps two at the same pace. And Jesus said, as you are yoked to me, you will find rest for your souls. (laughs) Hear me, I could sleep for a week and not experience any rest for my soul. Jesus said, rest for your soul, rest for your mind, will, emotions. That rest that doesn't necessarily come from the absence of work, but that rest yoked to Jesus that brings satisfaction, fulfillment, and purpose to life. That is mystery in the rest and mystery in the yoke. So this rest Jesus is talking about is not about the absence of activity, but engaging in the right God-given activities on a daily basis. When you're yoked to Jesus, you will be pulling something. I'm going to say that again. When you're yoked to Jesus, you will be pulling something. And it is a key to soul rest. Jesus, when we came to Jesus, Jesus didn't invite us just to hop a ride to heaven. He said, join me in my yoke. Join me in my purpose. Join me in my work. Let's plow this thing together. Jesus isn't inviting us to hop a ride, but to pull with him. To not be pulling the yoke with Jesus, this is kind of a harsh term that God just dropped on my heart, but it's like kingdom welfare. And I know there are seasons of life where people need to rest and not be involved in any activity, but the normal Christian life is about having a job assignment in the kingdom and working with Jesus, pulling that yoke. And in that is incredible freedom and purpose and release, mind, will, emotions, satisfied. When we are yoked to Jesus, we will be pulling something. Finally, Jesus, the third junction is learn from me. Come to me, take my yoke upon you. Thirdly, learn from me. We must learn and practice the ways of God in work and rest. So many books written about work and rest. I mean, it's, it's, but you know, how many of you just realize with me, his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And we say, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. That won't work for me. His ways are higher than our ways. They produce the fruit in our lives that we are looking for. Jesus says, Learn from me. God's ways are best. They lead to blessing and health. So let's find rest in the mystery of the yoke. And there are five things I'm learning that I just wanna wrap up with here today. Five things I'm learning about the pace of Jesus. They're not easy. They're things God helped me practice them, helped me to put them into practice on a daily basis. But here's here's the first thing about the pace of Jesus, all right? Um, Know your identity. Again, going back to the upper room the night before the cross when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, John 13. In verse 13, he says to the boys, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's who I am. Jesus knew he, who he was. He was comfortable in his, in his calling and his divine make and you know, in, in how God made him and created him. He wasn't trying to be something that he wasn't supposed to be. Verses one and two says, knowing he had come from God and knowing he was going back to God, he was free just to take up the towel when nobody else would and just begin to wash. He was comfortable in who he was called to be. When you know where you've come from and you know where you're going, you're just free to serve and do whatever's needed in the moment. Anybody know where you've come from? Anybody thankful you know where you're going? You're free just to pick up the towel whenever the need arises. Know your identity. Again, he washed Peter's feet. He washed Judah's feet. And weariness of soul comes from trying to be something God has not made us to be or to do things God has not given us to do. Secondly, First, know your identity. Secondly, eliminate the extra things. In John chapter 5, 19, we won't get into it this morning, all right? But let me just say this. It only takes one extra thing <laughs> to rob us of our rest and to start a weariness of soul. It only takes one extra thing. So this is a question I've been learning to ask every time an opportunity comes along. How many you know there's no shortage of good opportunities? Huh? Here's the question God, are you giving me the grace to do this? Because if it's not God's idea, no matter how good of an idea, if it's not God's idea, then where's the energy going to come from to make it happen? It's going to come from me. Instead of God's grace, outside help to accomplish the task. So know your identity. Eliminate the extra things because weariness of soul comes from doing things God has not given us to do. So here is a very important word to learn in the Christian vocabulary. No. No. Don't use that word to dodge things that God's giving you to do. But learn to say it to eliminate, all right? The extra things. Thirdly, overcome the fear of man in John 11. We read about Jesus and Lazarus, all right? The fear of man, let me just define that real quick. The fear of man is like a snare. It's like a big old bear trap that immobilizes us. By definition, here's one definition of the fear of man, all right? Being more concerned about what God thinks than people think. How many know that's a trap? When we're we're more concerned about what people think in something than what God thinks on it, we're in trouble. So overcoming the fear of man, Jesus and Lazarus, you know, the word out went out from Mary and Martha. Jesus, you got to get here as quick as you can. Our brother is really, really sick. And the Bible says Jesus waited three days before he went to Bethany. By the time he got there, Lazarus was dead. The girls were distraught. Where were you? Why didn't you come earlier? They were not happy with Jesus at all. Until you get to the end of the story. You see, if Jesus would have moved on their timetable, instead of his father's timetable, they might've experienced a healing, but they would have missed a resurrection. It's important as followers of Jesus that we understand. People push, but Jesus leads. And yoked to Jesus, we follow his leadership and we do not succumb to the push of people in our lives. Let's avoid the fear of man and embrace the fear of the Lord in our daily pace with Jesus. Number four, remember the Sabbath, Mark 2, 27. It's part of the pace of Jesus. He said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you to build in the rhythm of rest. It's part of the mystery. So let me ask you today, how's your one in seven going? Honestly, how's your one in seven? Even God, the creator, rested one day in seven. Who we think we are? Even Jesus found a way to take a nap in the midst of one of the storms of life. So let's remember the Sabbath. And finally, let's prioritize primary relationships. Jesus did that. He spent the most time with the people that were most important in fulfilling his mission with him. He loved the crowds, he put up with some people from time to time, but he prioritized primary relationships in life. So let me ask you, what, inter- what relationships in your life energize you? Who's your Paul, that older mentor, that just speaks into your life and encourages you and helps you move forward? Who's your Barnabas, that best friend, kind of iron sharpening iron that you're really close to, that can ask you the tough questions? Prioritize those relationships. By contrast, who robs you of time on a regular basis? That you gotta start saying no to. Who needs your time and needs you to be that Jonathan to their David? Prioritize primary relationships as part of Jesus' pace in life. Prioritizing primary relationships in our families. I, 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 I can't tell, please, block the time, guard the time for spouse and kids. Block the time and guard the time. If we wait for it to happen and we never get around for it to happen, I, I, I went through, gosh. When we were planting our church in Cleveland, Ohio, that became the joy of our hearts and ministry was incredible and God was blessing. I can just say I was doing ministry in a way that was, Fruitful but fatal for me. Fruitful for others, but fatal for me. And and I had to hit the brakes. Our relationship was good. The relationship with the kids. But let me just say this: when your daughter says to her fiance, I wish you would have known your dad when you know you're pretty toasty. That's when God said, It's time to prioritize. It's time to block out the time. Tuesday night, this is a pastor secret. Tuesday night became Becky and I's date night. And from time to time on Tuesday, I have somebody call me and say, hey, pastor, <laughs> I need to talk to you. It's pretty urgent. What are you doing tonight? And I would, with clear conscience, say, I'm sorry, but I've already got an appointment. Wasn't their business, no, it was a date with my wife. Unless it was an absolute emergency, that got protected. So prioritizing primary relationships. Block the time, guard the time. I, I was a um, long time ago, one of my favorite teachers as a pastor was John Maxwell. He was speaking at a conference in Northeast Ohio, not far from our home. I signed up, I went to the conference. When I got there, I found out very uncharacteristically that John um, um, uh, canceled. And they brought in some guy I never heard of before, and I'm thinking, do I just turn around and go home? You know? The guy they brought in was some guy named David Jeremiah. <laughs> and David told a story about as a pastor of a busy church, there was a man that called the church office, big staff, lots of people. And that man called in and said, I need to see Pastor Jeremiah today, my life is falling apart. Pastor Jeremiah said, well, find out what's going on. And as he found out what was going on, he said, you know what? There's several people on staff that can help with this, probably better at these situations than I am. So hook them up. No, 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 I got to see Pastor Jeremiah. I'm sorry, Pastor Jeremiah, I can't see you today. The man came and parked himself in the church office, sat there till the end of day. And when Dr. Jeremiah walked out of his office, he said, I demand to know right now, why can't you see me, my life? Sir, we love you. You've been told there are people right here, right now that can help you. Where are you going? My son's a high school senior. I'm on my way to see his basketball game. The man was furious. And as he accused Dr. Jeremiah, something rose up in Dr. Jeremiah. And Dr. Jeremiah said, look, I told you there are a lot of people that can help you and we can help you right now. He said, but my son only has one father. Jesus' pace was marked by prioritizing primary relationships. So how's your personal pacing, friend? Yoke to him, you'll be refreshed at his pace and in his purpose. Yoke to him, you will finish well. And at his pace and by his grace, you can run a race that glorifies Jesus and brings rest to your soul at the same time. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years since my middle son, JP and I uh, were in London. I had taken him with me as I spoke at a pastor's conference in Split, Croatia. It was a crazy time. It was the year that the 10 year civil war ended in the former Yugoslavia. And all these pastors, Gil, that had come from all parts of the country, hadn't seen each other in 10 years. It's like a big, we wept and cried for a week. I built in a two day layover in London because I just wanted to experience the city that I love with my son. We were, I I gotta tell you, we were racing. (laughs) For two days, we raced. And the last stop on the second day was Westminster Abbey. We were racing to get there before it closed at five o'clock. And right at five o'clock, we walk up to the door of Westminster Abbey because inside the door, right inside, uh, David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa is buried in the floor. And I wanted to experience that with my son. And, And the guy said, I'm sorry, you can't come in. And I'm saying, it's just, it's right there. I said, "Um, are you sure? He said, yeah. He says, "Uh, we're closing for Evensong. Evensong was a one-hour service in a back chapel that had been going on continuously for 500 years. Then I had one of those God thoughts, and I said to him, can anybody attend Evensong? (laughs) He said, yeah, I guess you can come on in. So JP and I went in, we walked around the back, and we found a seat in Evensong was acapella hymns and candlelight, was the Apostles' Creed. And in the midst of all that pacing, I found rest for my soul. On the way out, we did spend a moment lingering over Livingston's grave and talking about the Great Commission together. But in that moment, God knew my need and rest was in a person and his name was Jesus. So friends, his rest is found in a person. His rest is yoked to a purpose. His rest is marked by a pace, the pace of Jesus. Look at this final scripture with me before Pastor Gill comes up. This is Matthew 11 from the message translation. I love this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. The mystery of rest. Get there. God bless you, Grace Cossling. Thanks for listening.